going through the eye of a needle when I'm making a movie. I'm writing it, and you're either with me or you're not. If only you could have seen what I've seen with your eyes. Yeah. The filmmaking experience was wonderful. The film dealing experience was about as unpleasant as it can be. I'd go onto the set and I'd be in another world. Hello, I'm Jim McLean and welcome to a rather special edition of the Bandaflix Cinecast. Rather than talking about the general releases, we're going to talk about one film in particular, and that is Ridley Scott's Blade Runner, which is 33 years old. It's now getting a limited re-release in cinemas with the director's final, final cut after several tinkerings. Joining me on this cinematic discussion, we have Connor Smith from the Belfast Film Blog. Hey, what's up? Ethan Barr from Embar Films. Hello. And local blogger, Jack McFadden. Hello. I'm assuming we're all excited and geared up to talk about one of the greatest films of all time. I'm totally pumped. I've been doing Star Jumps to get the blood flowing. Happy days. I've, I've seen it. I can voice for that. Yeah. I've been uh, tickling turtles in the desert. I'm good to go. Before we get into talking about Blade Runner itself, just want to have a brief chat about Ridley Scott himself. Like, in terms of you guys, are you all fans of Ridley Scott? Any standout films? Any films you don't like? Or well, fans of his older output, not necessarily fans of his newer output, which just become less personality and more bland, yeah. really. Well, he, well, he is, does seem to be the busiest director in the whole wide world. He seems to be, yeah. con- like, he's mm-hmm. just finishing mm-hmm. on... He's taking loads of really good concepts and making very average films. Yeah, he's so. just finished on The Martian, which is Matt Damon, I believe. That's right, and yeah. he's moving on. I don't think he's directing Prometheus 2 anymore i think he's just producing it yeah. um but he's m- moving on to next project and he's now involved in terms of production with alien 5 neil blomkamp that's uh, okay yep he's producing that as well because he's demanded a change in alien 5 that somehow oh interferes. yeah they don't want them to like interact with each yeah. other he doesn't want prometheus 2 stepping on the toes of alien 5 and they, alien 5 they exist in the same universe but i think he just doesn't want something that will yep. take away the continuity um i love gladiator so yeah that's Jack, pretty good. Jack, what about you? Um, I'm not. No, I'm not the biggest Ridley Scott fan. I really, really love Alien. Yep. Alien is absolutely brilliant. I it's pr- it's easily my favorite of his films. It mm-hmm. is an absolute masterpiece, in my opinion, at least. But I, how long has it been since Ridley Scott has made a really good movie? Something oh, you can really get your teeth into. I know because I was sort of like thinking about Ridley Scott. And I was like, yeah, I mean, he's, he's a big director. He's he's yeah. important. Yeah, looked up his IMDb. A list of films is like um, that's a good. Mm, that's I know good. when you that's consider good. like that's the amount of stuff he's made, you kind of think, well, the probability of him eventually making a good movie yeah. is is you know it's pretty high, which yeah. is probably why he's made Alien. And yeah. I guess for you, Blade Runner. Blade Runner, but I mean, we'll, we'll not talk about it. But I mean, I would go back probably the last film I really really like would probably be Black Hawk Down that I can think of off the top of my head. There yeah. may have been. I will say this: I am I don't hate Prometheus. I think there's a lot of good things about Prometheus. I just think it's it's let down by clever people doing silly things. Yeah. And I love the big ideas Prometheus has. It's just I don't really like the characters in the film. Maybe. It's it's just yeah. not two thousand and one. It's not it's not two. It wants to be two thousand and one, and it doesn't reach that level where maybe like Chris Nolan. Chris Nolan didn't even reach that level with two thousand and one, but he came cl- much closer than Ridley Scott did with Prometheus. Yeah, like I went to see Prometheus and I was kind of excited because there was so much hype about it, and I mean it it looked like this marge of, of high concept and high production values. But I I remember watching and thinking, 
what has happened along the way? Yeah. Like, it really felt like a mess. Yeah. yeah like, uh, no, I completely agree. I remember, like, when Prometheus was going to come out, the hype surrounding it was yeah. ridiculous. The so many trailers. Yeah, you couldn't yeah. escape it. You really couldn't. And so this, like, it just infected everybody. And yeah. if you're an Alien fan, this was the movie to see. Yeah. And everyone was so excited. And then we got Prometheus. And it was, everyone was kind of like, yeah, this wasn't that bad until it actually settles down and they were just like, what did we just watch? Yeah. And it's that, But I do agree with you. It's actually not as bad as a lot of people make no. it out to be. It's it, got a lot of merits. But the, hype, the hype was a big problem with it and the fact yeah. that the trailers showed so much where a lot of people had this idea, if that's what you're showing, what are you not showing? And it's like, oh, you're not actually showing anything else. Yeah. There's nothing else. I pretty much have seen Prometheus from the trailers. I think its flaw was that it tried to connect itself to the alien universe. It's that, that, one of that, many flaws. That, well, that, that for me is its biggest flaw, the fact that it tries to shoehorn in the alien mythology. Yeah, that and, doesn't work. And one thing I do think with Ridley Scott is you have to remember he started out as a production designer rather than like he's not just a straight and out director. And I mean, he does build awesome worlds. Sense. He does build worlds when he creates film. Like we'll talk about Blade Runner. I believe that world exists within Blade Runner. Prometheus as well, like that ship, the Nostramo and Alien, mm-hmm. that that it's its own wee world in its own right. Even the planet that they ex- that they visit, the start of Alien, that he creates vivid worlds, and he's a very stylish director. Like Exodus, his last film is beautiful to look at. There's some stunning landscapes in that film and some stunning visuals, but I just think it's let down by the weak screenplay. Yeah, yeah that, that's a kind of the running theme, isn't it? Yeah, you know. Anything else, guys, you want to give a shout-out to? Like, we've talked about Alien. Like, Alien, for me, I'm totally in your corner, Jack. Alien's up there. Like, I think it was his second or third film that he had made, apart from... If you don't count the Hovis ads. If you don't oh, count, yeah. if you don't count the Hovis yeah, ads, well, when, when, and as all his years mm. of doing advertising and, and yeah. adverts. I really like Thelma Louise as well. Yeah, yeah I, I like Thelma Louise. Oh, when, oh, you, okay. when you said Hovis ads, I thought you were slagging off Gladiator's parsley walks through like the Barney food. No. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, no, you mentioned it. It's like I quite, like, I really, I really do love yeah. Gladiator, but it's yeah. like I, I thought that's what you're referring to when you said I, I, would, I would probably <laughs> say maybe Gladiator's his last great film, maybe because it, it was definitely out around the time Black Hawk Down. I can't remember which yeah. one, but I think, yeah. I think Black Hawk Down was out slightly later yeah, than Gladiator. Yeah. But I, I, like, I, like Gladiator's one of those films when it's on, I'll watch it no matter where it is. I'll see it through to the end, and it's got. Probably it was one of those films that I think that really launched Russell Crowe as well. Yeah, yeah it was a big yeah, film, you know. Yeah. Um, and the one I don't like is Hannibal, which I just I just think is a terrible film. And it just mm. does stick. Oh, you just want to forget it. I'm not surprised that the Hannibal TV series is just now basically saying all that stuff that happened in Hannibal, it's like, yeah, we're going to just do that now and just gonna, we're going to do that better than what you did. But anyway, we're getting off the track. As we all know, Blade Runner inspired by the writings of Philip K. Dick. Do androids stream of electric sheep? I've asked you this before on Twitter and Facebook, and I said that had anyone anyone particular favourites of Philip K. Dick's work? I think it was yourself, Connor, had said that you hadn't hadn't seen that much. Mm-hmm. I and would, this is the part where you tell me that yes, I have. I, I will tell you now. Like, there's quite a lot of his stuff. If I, you might be surprised to know that the his work inspired Total Recall, where I think if I can get the name of the book right, it's only short stories. We'll remember, we remember, remember, yeah, we can remember it for you wholesale. Yeah, things like that. He 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 is one of those authors that. Very influential, like in the way H.P. Lovecraft is very influential within the kind of body horror and that kind of genre. He is that mm-hmm. kind of postmodern sci-fi writer. And I'll give you a brief, like, I mean, I've got here in front of me, written in front of me, Total Recall, Scanner Darkly, uh, Adjustment Bureau, 
films like that as well. There's Minority Report as well. Minority Report, Report Total Recall, as we mentioned film. there. And this is all, like, it's amazing to think that these are all, like, some of these are modern films. Yeah. And you're thinking, this guy died before Blade Runner came out. Yes, he died in yeah. 1982 when Blade yeah. Runner was out, yeah. So he's done this amazing, like, epilogue nearly to his story, that yeah. the fact that these have lasted so yeah. long. I've and they're for- still relevant. Yeah, I've forgotten how prolific yeah. the, the chaotic was. I was looking at some of his stuff earlier. I mean, yeah. over something like 114 short stories and then dozens of novels. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yep. that's right. I mean, it's probably the sci-fi writer of the 20th century probably like, haven't heard like H.G. Wells probably yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. like a lot of these films aren't necessarily like stri- like direct copies of his books yeah. they're more like we took like the core idea and then spun a film yeah. out from it but it's the fact that these were still his core same, ideas same he, he has the themes yeah no, he knows the themes and the, the Blade Runner themes are still relevant today like yeah uh, Blade, like it's something we'll come back to and talk about yep. that, what, just what you've mentioned there but I mean like films like Minority Report I think I love, and I have funny, uh, I think it was the Human Rights Festival here, last year showed Minority Report, and I hadn't seen it in a long time, and it's a film, I think it's at 2000, in our early 2000, and it stood the test of time. Yeah, and yeah it's, it's good. It's one of those films where you kind of get, we're talking about there, like you get Tom Cruise, and you get Steven Spielberg, and you kind of go, this, because I think that was the first of that partnership, I don't think uh, War of the Worlds had been out, I think that was the first one, it definitely wasn't, it wasn't, because I know they've teamed up a couple of times, mm-hmm. but you're kind of going... Tom Cruise, one of the biggest actors around at that time. Steven Spielberg, probably one of the definitive blockbuster man that redefined the blockbuster genre. And you're kind of going, that can only disappoint. And it doesn't. And it's fantastic. And it stands the test of time in the same way that Blade Runner. I think, anyway, personally, Blade Runner has. I know it's a film that has been tinkered with quite a bit. I've only seen it a couple of times, but every time I watch it, I'm like, which version am I watching? There's a lot of key. Like, Ridley Scott has tinkered with this to the same amount as George Lucas has tinkered with Star Wars. And I think people are maybe more forgiven of Ridley Scott when this. I, I kind of think, I know the final cut that's out at the minute that's going to be out in the cinema. We'll talk about this, but I mean, I'm maybe not as big a fan of that version of the film as like, the films i seen when I was younger on TV. Yeah. I just want to take you guys back to 1982. I was just a twinkle in my mother's eye. Yes, but I mean, I'm just going to give you a run through <laughs> of, of some of the big films that were out. Because this 1982, the year I was born, it was a great year for cinema. Like, I mean, just briefly running these through here. You've got Blade Runner, as we mentioned. You've got Tron. And we will talk about these two films. I mentioned this before. But you've got, like, E.T. was out that year. The Thing, Star Trek 2. This is my favourite of the Star Trek films. You look at iconic films, you have Blade Runner, you've got The Thing. Like, there's two straight out there within that strong contenders within the sci-fi genre. E.T., as we've mentioned. And then Tron. We've talked about this a couple of weeks ago. We've all seen Tron here, yeah? Oh, yes. Yep. Um, Jack? No. No? I've never seen Tron. You have? Well... This is the, is this the original one or the remake? The original. Yeah, okay. Okay. Oh. It's 1982 here. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. We're, 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 we're back, back in the time machine. So we're back in the yeah. 80s here, gentlemen. But with Tron and Blade Runner, they're two films that have had a sort of huge influence on cinema. Like Tron has influenced like, so the Matrix. And we, we've talked about this in previous podcasts, so I don't want to go into too much detail. But when you watch Tron now, it has dated. Like the special effects don't hold up. The screenplay and everything, it's quite wooden. And yes, you've got Jeff Bridges kind of just doing what Jeff Bridges does, but he was kind of in that Disney mode. Kind of way. It's kind of weird the way when you look at it, like Tron, like Jeff Bridges was doing the Disney thing, and Kurt Russell, who was Mr. Disney for a while before the thing, mm-hmm. before John Carpenter came to him and said, come here and let's, I'm going to make you into Snake Plissken and take you away from Disney completely. It's the fact that you mentioned it there, Ethan, uh, the fact that... Coming back to Blade Runner, coming back to writing a Philip K. Dick. Blade Runner, yes, was released 33 years ago, but 
at this moment in time, this whole idea of artificial intelligence, it's very now. It's very, it's a buzz. There's a lot of films, yeah. like, I mean, giving you a brief, and like, you've got the likes of Ex Machina. That's, that came to my head immediately yeah. watching Blade Runner today. Like. You've got Ex Machina. Uh, you've had another film I hope we were talking about before the recording here was Her. Yep. Films like that as well. Maybe to a lesser extent, you might not want to talk about it. Chappie. Think films like that, and uh, one I wanted to give a mention to was the fact you've got uh, the next Avengers film, Age of Ultron, is all to, at its heart is all to do with artificial intelligence. Skynet, yes, Skynet, because then when you think about it, Terminator was out like two years after Blade Runner. Terminator was just like the more crowd pleasing version. Yeah, almost. It, like, d- it delivered your, their, the more entertaining action beats. And remember, like Terminator One was like a horror stalker kind of film, like whereas this kind of is more pondering. Yeah, the mm-hmm. artificial intelligence side. Like, wh- like, what's your view on that subject at the minute with the artificial? I've, I, I've talked about this before in this podcast, guys. Like, it's strange that so many films seem to be focused on uh, have this idea at its core at the minute. This fear of artificial intelligence. Yeah. When in the eighties, it was kind of it was there. You have like the likes of Blade Runner, the likes of films like Terminator, and they've stayed relevant because of that fear. Nowadays. Forms of AI are nearly ubiquitous. Yeah. Like everybody has like an iPhone with Siri in it. Mm-hmm. If Google talk, like Google talks to them, okay, Google, it, your phone starts talking back to you. So people are thinking that's AI. These phones aren't necessarily; they're just working off of like a massive knowledge base. Like those are like if somebody asks you this, answer this. So it's yeah. not actually thinking for itself. Whereas these are asking more heavy questions, like what is like can a robot, can an AI feel, can yeah. it have empathy, can it have emotions? Because AI is a form of AI is around us. We're thinking, is that so far away? Mm-hmm. Have any of you seen the what happened for the because because X Machina hasn't been released yet in America or it might have just been oh released yeah recently. the Tinder the the Tinder they had Eva on Tinder say, yeah. and it just looks bizarre yeah like, like, I'd fall in love with Eva it's it's messing with people's feelings so you're not yeah. really sure like ethically how it's going about it but it's it's demonstrating their point I can yeah. understand why they kind of went about it it's like people like Eva's on Tinder people are asking her and she's getting conversations basically lulling them on the date or something yeah. and then they find out like this is like a promotional stunt for X Machina and you're talking yeah. to a robot yeah no one is, no it's kind of playing with people's yeah. feelings but at the same time it's demonstrating their point effectively did you guys like X Machina loved yeah. it like yeah it. of course yeah. superb film yeah so did I because that's what that's essentially what sci-fi films always do they always take whatever is contemporary whatever is now whatever is on a lot of people's minds and project it on the screen mm-hmm. I mean they've been doing that all the way back from since the 50s with the yeah. Cold War kind of mm-hmm. analogies and stuff like that I mean whatever the the public are thinking at that time sci-fi filmmakers always try and put it on screen yeah that's why I'm such a huge fan of Blade Runner and I know as I'm aware as the more we talk about it, I gush about this film and I'm trying to be because I, I think there'll be I don't think necessarily a lot of negativity towards it but I think I'm probably the mis- Mr. Over Exuberant in, in his love for this film. I think it's a film that, as I say it's completely in context with this kind of view especially with something like Ex Machina and yeah. films like that. that idea that fear of artificial intelligence and how it eventually will overtake humanity like even Stephen yeah. Hawking has been talking about this as well recently. Yeah I mean a lot of these films deal with a kind of feeling of uh, alienation, you know, in terms of um, not just people dealing with other characters who may or may not be human, but mm-hmm. also characters dealing with their own um, sort of lack of humanity. You know, there's this kind of melancholy in Blade Runner yeah. and in a lot of these other films. And I think, you know, the more time goes on, the more that makes sense to us, you know, yeah. the more, you know, sort of disconnected we are and the more devices we use to talk to each other. You yeah. know, I think this this alienation is, is something that we're going to become more attracted to. Also, capitalism as well. I mean, Blade Runner and these sorts of uh, dystopic robot feature films mm-hmm. are also so much about what happens when 
these giant corporations yeah. with uh, unlimited power kind of start running things. It's not going to um, be the governments that rule us anymore. Yeah, it's, it's be a Tyrell Corporation or yeah. Skynet or whatever. You know, and I mean, I I kind of I think that of the of the things that. Yes, there's like hover cars and stuff, and you kind of think of Back to the Future Part Two. We're all going to have hoverboards and hover cars by I think it's 2015. I think yeah. is the is the Back to the Future future of, of all the kind of things with Blade Runner. I think that idea of you can see that the power of corporations. People talk about like with like where people are companies are paying their tax and they're all over, and the power of big business like that's that's all relevant. Even in Aliens, well, which of course came out around the same time as Blade Runner. There is this fear of these intergalactic corporations, yeah. you know, who are pursuing the alien as a kind of form of weaponry. So, I mean, that technology and, and capitalism and uh, business are all kind of interlocked, yeah. kind of right from the beginning. It's very Orwellian, as I kind of said at the start. It's kind of it's that idea of it's all Orwellian. Yeah, it's that's that's very negative. And yeah, that's one of the, the pieces of praise that uh, almost everyone throws in Blade Runner. It's the fact that they got the future kind of right. Yeah. it just feels right. It's, it's grim, grim, dark, it's dark. It's lonely. Everyone's on. It the all it's going to look a bit like Tokyo, but it's not Tokyo. Yeah, it's Los that Angeles. Asian Oriental kind of yeah. influence and stuff like that, and the immigration and yeah. kind of stuff. Yeah. Guys, just before we get started talking about Blade Runner, I just want to play a clip from the Mark Cromwell documentary about Blade Runner, which I prefer to the actual any of the documentaries that's on any of the special editions of the DVD. And here's a clip. There's a moment in Philip K. Dick's 1968 novel The Android's Dream of Electric Sheep in which the bounty hunter Rick Deckard wonders whether empathising with his android prey has put him at odds with the rest of the human race. He wondered, writes Dick, if any human has ever felt this way before about an android. That feeling of being out of sync with the world is a key element both of Dick's novel and of the film which followed, a film which was both behind and ahead of its time, which looked back to the future and redefined the way in which cinema would imagine the shape of things to come. It's a film which has been called everything from a fascinating failure to a cult classic, which looks more and more like dark prophecy as the years roll by and we move ever closer toward the edge of Blade Runner. That's a clip from Mark Cromwell. There's a sense in Blade Runner of... There's so many different things running. Like it's in one level, it's like a a nineties nineteen fifties style noir. It's that idea of sure. like he's the PI, and you've got the classic femme fatale kind of character. There's other levels where it's it's a cop drama. It's a nineteen seventies like he's kind of the sleazy cop, and he's going to go like into detective, the yeah, yeah the detective. He's going to the strip club, and then there's other bits where it's just a love story, and then of course there's other bit where it's all about robots and it's all about the future. Like there's different levels that it works at, and I think it was I think the term that it coined was tech noir i think when it first kind of yeah. came out that mm-hmm. idea of that disdain for the future and not being positive and upbeat before we get into the film i think we'll play a clip. We'll set the tone we'll set the tone we'll play a clip from the film you think i'm a replicant don't you look it's me with my mother yeah Remember when you were six? You and your brother snuck into an empty building through a basement window. You were going to play doctor. He showed you his. And when it got to be your turn, you chickened and ran. Remember that? You ever tell anybody that? Your mother, Tyrell, anybody? Huh? You remember the spider that lived in a bush outside your window? Orange body, green legs. Watched her build a web all summer. Then one day there's a big egg in it. The egg hatched. 
the egg hatched. And? And a hundred baby spiders came out. And they ate her. Implants. Those aren't your memories. They're somebody else's. They're Tyrell's nieces. Okay. Bad joke. I made a bad joke. You're not a replicant. Go home. Okay? No, really. I'm sorry. Go home. That's the clip. Before anyone gives me the chance to gush about this film, far away, guys. Tell tell me what you think. Blade Runner, thirty three years old, so heavily yeah. cited as by film critics and directors mm-hmm. and actors, oh, the whole crowd as being one of the greatest films yep. of all time. It's kind of hard, like coming into this as a newbie, yeah, because all you've ever heard is this, it's the greatest sci fi ever, top of the, all, all those sort of lists. It's kind of hard coming into it and thinking. And it's trying to trying to judge it without that hype in your mind. Yeah, it's kind of quite difficult. So therefore, you're always going to be underwhelmed, which is my first feeling after watching it. Yeah, which, but I, I I appreciate it. I like the film. I, I really enjoy the themes yeah. it kind of touches on. I didn't really necessarily like Harrison. I thought Harrison Ford's character was like one of the lesser interesting characters in the film. Random bit of trivia in that film: Robert Mitchum was the actor they always wanted to cast in that role. And yeah. I kind of I do it's think I do kind of get that idea of that possibly. Harrison Ford is slightly too young okay, to play yeah. that role, but I think what the more I think this is where this film works. I think the more you play about it, and then we will get to the spoilery bit. It's not much of a spoiler, like to talk about Deckard's character, but when you understand what about Deckard's character and what kind of well, Ridley Scott and Harrison Ford have debated this for years over over is his character a replicant, replicant or not? Is he is he human or is he not? You kind of go, the fact that he is so young, I think, adds into that idea that he is replicant, that, that, that those yeah. memories that he have, he couldn't possibly have because of his age. But that's, again, you see, I'm going off in a gush. But I wanted to ask you this question. A couple of weeks ago on the podcast, you mentioned you'd seen Taxi Driver for the first time. I did, yes. And like you talk about, I, I know you'd seen Blade Runner. You said you'd seen Blade Runner before this, but you watched it again recently. But it's still, it's still recent. It's within the yeah. past year or two. Like that. You'd watch it recently. Taxi Driver, when you watch it, did you go, yes, I can see why this is so heavily cited and did it reach that level for you, or was yeah. it always going to be a bit of a, a set of an anticlimax? It's even with Taxi Driver, there's still this sort of anticlimax. If someone's held it was a classic, I don't think you're ever really going to love it as much yeah. as the building. But I can see how Taxi Driver was so influential. I can also see how Blade Runner was so influential. Okay. It's like I'm not going to be gushing about this, saying it's one of my favorite films ever. But I can definitely see where people get their love for yeah. it. No, I can I can appreciate that. Yeah. And I think it's a decent, uh, not decent, very odd. Like, it's, it's all right. It's, no, it's quite, it, is, it is a very good film. Yeah. I'm just not, I just don't love the film. Like, I thought the slow and patient pace of it a lot of the time kind of lost me, but my attention kind of waned in yeah. some parts. Uh, gentlemen, yourselves, what about you? Some reviews, Ethan, or different, or anything else you want to add? Or? Yeah, I mean, I saw it a few years ago and I had a similar kind of reaction of, okay, here we go, I'm prepared to love this because everyone loves this. And then it's over and you think, I guess I liked it. I don't know. And then, I mean, this whole thing started, you know, recently I sort of mentioned offhand yeah. that uh, I was a bit iffy about it. And then I rewatched it because I knew we were going to be talking about it. And I like it more than the first time I saw it. Mm-hmm. And I respect a lot of the things it does a great deal. But I, I think my enjoyment of it was much more academic than 
like real. Yeah. You know, I I sort of I got, you know, I got it. I got why you know, people sort of like it so much and why it has such an important place in the canon. But I I don't know. I find it really sort of unmoving. I find it really hard to get into. I think it's got a lot of kind of structural problems with story and character and. Um, I think it does really good things with tone and, and with the kind of look of it. Um, but I think it's more a case of what you want to get out of a film. And I'm quite big on kind of story and, and development, that sort of thing, mm. when I'm sort of watching stuff. So it made it kind of hard for me. I think I think you could watch the first 15 or 20 minutes of Blade Runner and get it. Yeah. And you sort of don't need to see the rest, except for that sort of great end bit. Um, I completely agree with that. You know, yeah. When I was a kid, um, when I was about like 12, it was the first time I saw this movie. And it was purely, now that I look back on it, I think it was purely superficial love because it looks so good. It's like the kind of movie it, that it if you're a 12-year-old kid. Yeah, even yeah, now yeah. looking at that world, the world is so such so well realized. Yeah, yeah like, like the special effects are so like, they're because they use models and yeah. use those tangible mm-hmm. things, it just yeah. looks so good now. It's dated so like, well. Ridley Scott made this point where it was made for 40 million. I think the original budget was going to be for 20 and he kind of said you wouldn't make a film like that anymore you couldn't do a film like that on a 40 million budget and it wouldn't have that physical look because it would all be done with CGI which makes me really worried about Blade Runner 2 it's happening there's no way I can deny it and I'm worried about it because Blade Runner is a favourite film for me how can I put it where I watched it I didn't understand it watched it a couple of times finally got it and then realised that after when you get a bit older and you're reading about cinema that I hadn't got it at all and there's this whole extra story about is he isn't he and you're kind of going oh wow okay I want to rewatch yeah. that again and then you watch it and then yes you can read things in but coming back to the idea of, of the of the sets like, that's just one street throughout most of the film and it's it's just the same street they redress it and they change it and there's pillars that they have they turn upside down and twist and each time it kind of you think it's a vast city. Genuinely, more I watch it, you think it's a vast city and it's a massive city. Yeah, you never city. once question the city. Yeah. That's like a high achievement yeah. for something that's completely created, like fabricated. But like talking about openings, I love that opening shot. Like, yeah, I mean, that's you've got, shot's yeah, amazing. And you've got Vangelis, if I'm getting that right, their, right, yeah. their opening yeah, yeah. score and it comes in. And you kind of think this is going to be... Tokyo or it's might going to be New York in the future but it's Los Angeles it's not you can it's 2019 it's Los Angeles as the hover car approaches the big pyramid building it is very Orwellian in 1984 and uh, I and even that opening shot like the test because the, the, the idea of the test they have to decide if these people are human it reminds me now when I think of, of the whole idea of the Turing test yep of, mm-hmm. and you kind of yeah. think yeah. that's something now I bring to it now that's not something I when I was younger or even maybe a couple of years ago it's only now from with all this talk of the imitation game and of course Ex Machina as well like the antagonists in this film they're not really antagonists they all they want is life this human idea they don't want they're not necessarily yeah. bad that's guys that's definitely something I appreciated watching this film a second time yeah like you're kind of watching it just thinking, yeah, there's a protagonist, there's an antagonist. They're yeah. going to meet. There's going to be a big climax. One's going to defeat the other. Yeah. The end. Yeah. But it's like there, are, there you kind of get cl- almost that climax. But then that's when like Deckard kind of realizes he isn't such a antagonist yeah. after all. He just is somebody that wants to love. Yeah. And that's kind of like no, it's not necessarily subtle because te- Blade Runner tends to state it. It seems like. Audibly. I think it's in the dialogue. He says, like, I want to live. Yeah, I yeah. want to live. I yeah. want more life. I want more time. Like I want more life. Right. Yeah. I want that's, more time. Like, that's such a really Scott thing. 
And yeah. that's one of yeah. the things I don't <laughs> really like. Ridley Scott does this a while a lot. Okay. And it does it more often towards the end of his career. And I think it kind of comes back to Blade Runner. Maybe he just thinks audiences are really stupid. I know. And he yeah. doesn't... It kind of... Like, there's so much of Blade Runner where the thematics of it... And they are interesting. And they're very contemporary. Mm-hmm. Yep. But they're done all through dialogue. And I don't really want that from a filmmaker. When I... One of some, for me, the best filmmakers are ones who do that through cinema. They yeah. do it through the language of cinema. Instead of just having... You know the easiest thing, the get the the perfect get out of jail free card is to have a character actually explicitly basically just say basic exposition. I know. Yeah, this, this is what I want. This is what we're all about. I don't yeah. even know if we can go into the end of the movie, but one of the things. Well, I, I, I assume if really this is a Blade Runner special, chances are most people have seen yeah. Blade Runner. I assume yeah. spoilers. We is, can do uh, a spoiler canon if we really need, but it is thirty three year old. Everybody, everybody <laughs> should. Plus, everybody plus, because there's seven yeah. different versions of this film, you might not be watching this. The whole point of the whole point of special talking about a film is that there's going to be bloody spoilers. So why is up? <laughs> it, was, it was the end of the movie that, it, again, coming back to that use of dialogue, it's it's the it's Roy's the probably the most famous part of the entire movie, Tears yeah. in the Rain speech. Yeah, superb. Ad libbed. Yeah, I genuinely can't stand it. The, well, it's the, so the, annoying. The, the tears <laughs> and it, it was so ad libbed. The the line stink. The line from you, I've seen things. I assume you didn't make it up on the spot. I assume you didn't make it up on the spot. and stuff like that. Yeah, that's kind of scripted. But it's then the whole thing with the doves. Oh my god. The dove was the the something I was going to slate by and the time. Then, yeah, it's, and then it's a the dove and it flutters away it's in slow motion. Yeah, there's a lot of slow motion so in this film, isn't there? It's slow motion. Someone dies and then in slow motion. The, when like tears in the rain. And I love that scene. I love that tears in the rain. I love it's just a great line. And all these things in time will be lost. Like tears in the rain. You're kind of going, yes, I get it. I, 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 I love it if they show that. Yeah. Like visually, instead of having the character in his moment of death holding a dove, <laughs> I thought his death pouring was pouring his heart out, and then in the moment of death, let's go with the dove and it flies away. And then Scott goes, "Let's let's do that again, but do it in yeah. slow motion, okay. just in case he didn't get it. <laughs> let's do it again." And, uh, <laughs> I'm somewhere in between, but I definitely can see. I don't want you back out. here. We'll do it again. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think one of the problems is that there's so little opportunity for a lot of the characters in the film to kind of express what it is that they want and what it is that they're about. That when it comes to them having a moment, they sort of have to get it all out quite quickly. Yeah, I know. You know, there's not enough of of Roy, and there's not enough of the the other sort of replicants, and there's not there's even not enough of kind of Dackard really sort of being a character. You know, there's a lot of time. Yeah, kind of I, I agree, completely agree with that because the the, one, the most famous thing about Blade Runner is whether and Jim, you were talking about this, yeah. whether or not he is a replicant or not. Yeah, and. But he's very one note throughout. Like, yeah, you know. and does it really matter? It doesn't matter at all. It doesn't matter. There's nothing in the movie that actually hinge like the plot or the the themes. None well, of which kind of hinge on this aspect of it. Well, here's here's the thing. I'm going to say I approach the way Ridley Scott has re-edited and come back to this film in a way like, I don't particularly like the final cut that he does because it takes away a lot of the ambiguity. I mean, it kind of does kind of point you towards the fact that Deckard is a replicant he's not he's not human he's as i say it's not necessarily important but i think it kind of takes that ambiguity like does that like he keeps making the wee um, origami origami figures the wee unicorn and then he has the dream in the sequence that which i can't remember if it was in like there's the blade runner special edition and there's like i have a copy trying to stay on top of the versions i have a copy in vhs which i love and i mean that's why it's 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 kind of the film i'm going to liken it to is donnie darko Donnie Darko, and then they did Donnie Darko's director's cut. Oh, okay. Donnie oh. Darko's director cut, director's cut, which I don't mind, but again, it takes that ambiguity out of the ending and kind of goes. To, that's what I love about Donnie Darko. You kind of go, you could sit afterwards and have a conversation and go, you yeah. could think that, I can think that, and neither of you are wrong. Yeah, Donnie Darko is something I watched for the first time and absolutely love, but I had 
did not get in the slightest. Yep. But, I didn't but that's okay. That just, yeah, yeah, exactly. I've asked this question before. Can you love a film without truly understanding yep. it? Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. We were talking about this last yeah. week, in yeah. fact, with David Lynch and stuff like that. And yeah. the fact that like one of the things I really like is when a filmmaker kind of just lets the film be yeah. and it doesn't intervene and it lets you, the yeah. audience make up your own mind but Scott doesn't really do that it kind of even I think it was an interview I think it was yes. actually Mark Kermode actually it could have been yeah. where he says outright that he is a replicant and that just kind of I think there's really a certain sec- I think there's a certain section of this because of they are pressing ahead with the Blade Runner 2 you have to basically say right where is your starting point like I mean if he's human if he's not it's I think that's why Ridley Scott has kind of been so verbal and saying this is how the story this is what my reading of the story is so he has the platform to go this is Blade Runner 2. Because if you kind of have to, if you're going to have a film where it's an ambiguous ending, you're kind of losing one set of fans who kind of think that ending is what is their canon and that's what is happening. But you're going to keep it other ones. And I think he's kind of saying, look, this is what I think. This is what I want. And this is, I'm the director. I'm the one. It's the kind of the, the auteur. There's an ego thing here, yes. isn't there? Ridley Scott. Yeah. Like, I love Ridley <laughs> Scott's ego. I genuinely do love Ridley Scott. I love Scott. his ego. I love his ego. Okay. I love the fact that he has ego too. Because, I mean, I th- we talked about this months ago on the podcast. I think it might have been an Exodus when we were talking about it, when it was reviewed. He was asked about some of his back fo- his, his older films, and he kind of went, they mentioned Blade Runner, and he, his exact words were, great film, best I'm ever going to do. I like someone who kind of goes, who will stand up for what he believes in and says, you know what? I made yeah, that film, no, and I'm I, bloody proud of making that film. I mean, did they question him about his more recent output? Mm. Yeah, probably. He probably, probably says that about all his films. I don't think the councillor deserved. I don't think the councillor deserved. Councillor is terrible. Councillor is really Scott thinks it's like one of the best things he's done. Yeah. There's well, far more interesting than the councillor, and there's a lot of films just released every week. Like yes, well, so, like there's a lot of similarities with Blade Runner and Exodus because I mean Blade Runner he wasn't going to direct it. He was going to do Dune, which coming back it was directed by David Lynch. Okay. He was going to do Dune but then he had a death in the family and he needed a project to work on and then he worked on Blade, Blade Runner. Runner. Uh, I think it was written under the title Dangerous Days. Like I mean Exodus is the same after yeah, the death. Yeah, he of got the title off another book or something. Yeah, yeah he bought I? the rights to a totally different novel yeah. just yeah. to use the Really? Mhm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So what a- Oh, I thought okay. Because the original book was called something about dreaming electric sheep. The film was going to be Dangerous Days, which yeah. is what his original title when he took it on, and then he liked the, he preferred the term oh, for Blade Runner. I didn't know that, but I kind of like. Do you know what? There's loads of this film. Yeah, you're talking. there's yeah, loads. Like, it just sounds cool. It just sounds yeah. cool. Yeah, yeah. there's. Because <laughs> yeah, they never say what the hell a blade is. Yeah, that they're on about. Like, the, even like a metaphor for like know. what is a blade? I think a blade runner is like originally like a you know smuggler. I wish it were now. Yeah, that makes sense. It's like there's like you could do a podcast in its own right on the actual production of this film because it's 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 infamous and we'll not go into that now. But I mean, it was a film with a troublesome shoot. But you've got to remember as well. This is Ridley Scott. He was kind of the new kid on the block. He had just made Alien, 1979, which is a fantastic feature film. Yeah, I mean, yes, he had done a few other films, but I mean, Alien was a film that launched Ridley Scott, and then he comes on Blade Runner, and I would probably say, as I say, like that new kid on the block and. To, I think personally to make a film that confident when you're kind of like you think of, we think of Ridley Scott we think of Ridley Scott now and you're going to go yeah Ridley Scott could mm-hmm. be Blade Runner but it's like you're like going back to a filmmaker's early early work and to make a film I personally think so competently and such a big budget spectacle and hold it all together I uh, like I, I'm, I'm, I'm very aware I'm the person in the group that's gushing about this film yeah. you, you're yeah. right I mean to make Alien you know, which is just a stand, just masterpiece, just one of the great things ever made. And then to make Blade Runner, which, you know, 
we sort of obviously think it's a bit uneven, whatever, mm-hmm. but as a kind of cinematic achievement, you know, you have to give it respect. And to, to have those three films yeah. on your CV so early in your career is a real your own astonishing thing. But the shame is that it's, you know, kind of been so uneven since. Well, we've talked about this already with directors like Neil Blomkamp. And we've talked about the fear, like possibly someone like Alex Garland. Like when yeah. you make reach the level so high early on, you, to an extent, you are always going to disappoint. Like even mm-hmm. like I may say, just kind of popped in my head, someone like Martin Scorsese. We're talking about Taxi Driver. I mean, he yep. made fantastic films early on. Yeah. Yes, some of them are are pretty damn good. But I mean, you tell me, the film he deserved to win the Oscar for was The Departed. I, yeah, I really like that part of it, but it's probably it's, no, it wouldn't be his best film. It's anything. not the film you think. Yeah. I think isn't it? Was it Taxi Driver lost out to Driving Miss Daisy, or is that Taxi Driver lost out to Rocky? Yes, Taxi Driver was a movie, or, or I think it was a movie in which for the Oscars for Best Picture, there was also All the President's Men, yeah. Network, and of course Taxi Driver, and then of all those, Rocky, Rocky won. Yeah, <laughs> I think it was then was it Ordinary People then that yeah. beat. Raging Bull. Yeah. yeah. Marty gets a hard time with the Oscars. He does. So, I mean, let's say, I think we'll play a clip of Ridley Scott talking about Blade Runner. Decker's probably a paranoid uh, by doing his job, the job he does. So, if you've got a guy who actually is constantly hunting down people who look, for the most part, human and have all the attributes of human reaction and interreaction, um, then you might wonder at some point when you're working for the department or the company. Um, am I on the files as well? So that's what I mean by I always see him in the sense of being a paranoid in that sense of the word. And out of that, that makes him very Marlowe-esque, Philip Marlowe, right? That qualifies him to be too much drinking, a depressive, a um, tough man, an even violent man, um, a man without relationships, um, and uh, a man who's very much on his own. So he's not a particularly attractive guy to, you know, follow around the movie, but that's what I had in my head and nobody asked me, and so that's what I did. And so I was taking over a guy who was essentially Luke Skywalker and or Indiana Jones, because I literally cast him the first time I met him. He came from the set because it was late at night in London. He still had his Indiana Jones gear on, and we had our first meeting there. And I found, of course, Harrison to be very wry, amusing, and... And actually, great fun. He was now going to play this rather dark Bogart character. And I think that's probably what it went against us initially, because by the time the film came out, Harrison was n- now established as going to be destined to be a big star, and mainly because of Indiana Jones, I think. Um, and uh, people were confused by that and didn't expect heroes to behave like this. So we, we had a tricky opening. <laughs> Uh, later on, it's evolved. It's taken 25 years to evolve, but it evolved. Okay, so that's really... I mean, I've dabbled about this. I personally think the enduring appeal of Blade Runner is the ambiguity of the finale. And I know you guys are kind of saying that it's not really important. Mm-hmm. Is Deckard a replicant or is he not? But I mean, it's something... Why I love it is kind of, as I was saying earlier on, was it that whole concept, that whole notion completely went over. I, I wasn't aware of that the first time I seen this film. I didn't see this final cut that Ridley Scott has created now. When I first seen it, was Blade Runner. That completely went over my head. If you look back on YouTube and you look in through the documentaries, the, Ridley Scott battled with the studios about having that ambigu- mm-hmm. ambiguity in that film, that he didn't want it to be original at the time. He want, didn't want it to be like 
this is this is the definitive answer. Yeah, phones with ambiguous endings tend to be the more likely ones to get cult status, just because they do provide a conversation yeah, yeah, afterwards. Yeah, reaction. Yeah. Well, yeah. it is like it was a film. There's no denying it. And when it was initially released, it wasn't deemed. It was not. No, it wasn't. It wasn't and a success. But no. I mean, the thing, which was out in 1982, it was like VHS and was stuff a, that made this a yeah, success. Like. like the thing, as I say, was another film that when it was initially released, it was it was out within a week of ET. When it was originally released, and people seen it as the anti-ET movie, and they'd rather yeah. be upbeat and have a happy alien rather than the the thing coming to see you. That was back when like we didn't have our massive omniplexes with like eight yeah. screens. That was like everything only had a few couple of screens, so therefore it was a fight for space. Coming back to what I love about Blade Runner is probably to an extent what we've talked about is that idea of the design. The design in this film was, I would say, ahead of its time in that kind of the scale and the vision, and that's why it has stood the test of time. That's why. This film could be, as I say, it's in cinemas now. You could sit it hand in hand with any new yeah. The only, th- yeah, the only real thing that's aged in this film is like shoulder pads and maybe like the wee TV screens they use. But all yeah. in that, the film hasn't aged poorly at all. Mm-hmm. Like especially I mean, when you compare it to something like Tron. Yeah, compared to Tron, yeah. which I mean, if you watch Tron, Tron, looks like a product of its time. Yeah. No, whereas, whereas Blade the Runner Blade Runner does not. Yeah. yeah, it's very good at that. Um, the sets and the, the design and everything. Which we're coming back to with Ridley, Ridley Scott again. Like, yeah. yeah, I mean, the only thing I would say is like I. I agree, and it, it looks amazing, and it's got this kind of timeless um, quality built into it. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I also find the design uh, and the kind of the atmosphere to be so kind of smothering at times. Like I didn't actually really buy that this was a kind of real place because it felt so much like a set the whole time, and it was so really uh, yeah. Like yeah. I know it sounds weird, but it's it's more not even that. It's more how monotone it was like it was always raining and there was always <laughs> yeah. searchlights and I was kind of like right, a, I get it, a pathetic I get it. Fallacy. it can't be raining every day in this city mm-hmm. you know, lights, and no, not all the lights work all the lights flicker I don't yeah. think there's a single bulb in that entire city that actually works Yeah, and but yeah it's broken you know what I mean? it's, it's a broken city it's not no I get that it's, it's, it's the complete opposite of like the Star Trek future sure. it's not it's not shiny and it's all neon it's kind of going it's all gonna get pretty crappy <laughs> there's the walk that um sebastian and daryl hannah do to his apartment where it's completely isolated and there's the searchlights coming through and it's all wet and puddles and everything's broken and grin yeah, yeah. grungy mm-hmm. and you're kind of going yeah okay uh, yeah was, i'd live there yeah. did you say I, I i would live there i'd live there yeah you're completely on your own. Maybe, <laughs> maybe not. Maybe your, not. your apartment building has puddles yeah, and everything. Nice. I would love theirs. Yeah, you, love you've that. quite the low standard, yeah. then, Jim. Yeah, <laughs> what can I say? I'm from those home. replicants are probably probably my favorite part of the movie, though. Yeah. I think they're the, mm-hmm. by far the most interesting characters. For sure. So yeah. much more than yeah. Deckard. For me, like Roy is the main character because yeah. it's his journey that's so much more interesting. Mm-hmm. And his his death at the end, which I think is so over the top, but it is still. It's like more interesting can, than the rest. It is, yeah, it, is, it really yeah. is, yeah. Because he actually yeah. wants something. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like, it's kind of, like, whereas Deckard doesn't want really anything. And I'm so confused about that. Every time I watch it, I try and sit down and force myself, right, this is a classic. Mm-hmm. And every time, I'm kind of letting down, or let down. I think the thing about Deckard is, it's kind of weird, because um, I'm I'm always unsure if, if, if I find a film cold, how much of the coldness is intentional. And I, I sort of have that struggle with later on as well because I think in one sense Deckard is supposed to be a person who doesn't really have much of a character, much of a personality you know he's grieving for something for something that's lost, you know he's kind yeah. of this wounded it's character. Moping over ph- photographs and stuff. Yeah a lot of, yeah. <laughs> there's a lot of yeah. moping uh, Harrison Ford in this um, and I think part of that is intentional yeah. it's, it's Part of that is probably Harrison Ford yeah. And part of it is Ford, I mean I think you know he does that kind of 
the the one I, bit, I, hang dog expression. You know the, the one bit that really makes me does that does cringe from does make me cringe in, in Blade Runner is where he does like the, the kind of Jerry Lewis impersonation. I, I kind of like that. I was going to bring up. One, but I like. That. I was going to bring up and say I like that part. It's just it's, <laughs> it's, it's just it's just kind of like she has no idea. The, the, one of the replicants, I forget her name. She has no idea. Zora is it? Who, it's it's, like it's yeah. just it's just Varys and Varys. She, she has no idea who. He, she has no idea who he is anyway. So why do you need to do that voice? I don't See, know. It's, it's very hard. Sleep, like, the, the Humphrey Bogart yeah. McCall movie the classic yeah, he you know does that it. bit where he goes into the bookshop yeah. and he puts on the glasses and he puts on that voice yeah. and that, like, yeah. I thought that was lifted straight from that yeah. that's why I kind of like it it's kind of yeah. like Scott going yeah. back to the old well, film Lars Chandler from, from reading like, it was Harrison Ford Harrison Ford is all into those kind of Humphrey Bogart kind of roles that wasn't Ridley Scott that was Harrison Ford yes complete. Yep. Yeah. that's probably why I liked it it was the like Harrison Ford showing a bit of personality in the film yeah and Deckard showing a bit of personality in the film. Oh, yeah well sorry Deckard yeah, because like, it's just he's very like just one note throughout until I, that. Well, I kind of like there's the sequence just before that where he kind of phones Rachel. There's no other way I can put it. He has a dose. It's a bit of a booty call. He has it? a dose. He's the butt of the booty call, and he kind of phones her on the vid phone, the video phone, and it's like <laughs> all the kind of scribbles and all the other phone numbers. It's really, as I say, kind of that grungy chic kind of that idea. Dare leak if you would go for Zoolander, <laughs> and you just kind of go. Nice. It's wee things like that that I like, and you're yeah. kind of going. I I kind of like the relationship between Deckard and Rachel. Yeah. Although I do find that awkward moment where he kind of is like, say oh, you love yeah. me. Do you love me? Do you I, love I me? Love you. Like, do you trust me? I trust you. Well, yeah. That is kind of awkward. That is like... And then the Spider-Man kiss. They did Spider-Man kiss before Spider-Man did Spider-Man yeah, kiss. Indeed, down definitely. Down. I get the I sense. I said a lot really fast. <laughs> you couldn't really interrupt yeah. it. I didn't process <laughs> it Spider-Man kiss, Spider-Man kiss, Spider-Man kiss. I, I get a sense we're never going to really fully agree in this. I'm never going to win you over mm. and say that this is the classic that it deserves to be and I don't think you're going to win me over and say it's not as good. I have, I, I, I've put it on the podium and it's going on the podium and it's yeah. not coming down. I think it's like, like as like, well, I consider myself part of the younger generation, Like, but like I didn't watch this growing up. Mm-hmm. Like I've watched it when I'm like an adult or at least considered an adult. So therefore I feel it's getting the backlash from our generation because we didn't grow up we grew up with it knowing it as a classic but not necessarily thinking that ourselves because we haven't watched it and discovered it for ourselves because yeah. we've been told it's a classic rather than watching it and thinking oh I love this film okay. no, so I think that's why it's suffering a slight backlash now because you, you do see more and more people think it's okay to slate this film a bit more yeah. Okay. And I think it's also because so much of the stuff in it has uh, filtered out and into other kind of avenues of pop culture that there's a certain aspect of taking it for granted. Before I come back to you, Jack, just before the one thing I want to say is that it's kind of this idea two, three years ago when there was the Dawn of the Dead live score at the Belfast Film Festival. So many people were watching Dawn of the Dead and in the audience were kind of going, this looks really dated. This looks like that. This looks like that. I've seen that before. I've seen that before. It's the kind of that. That mm-hmm. is the blueprint from which people took that from. And yeah, that's why it's so hard to go back to classic films. Yeah, now. that's why I think you kind of look at it and go, you go, well, that is the film that kind of set that blueprint for that kind of, as I called it earlier on, that tech noir. You might have seen this before. You've seen a lot of films that yeah. influenced. Yeah. That, which is obviously, of course, the way to see it. Yes. I, I can see. definitely appreciate coming from that viewpoint. Yeah. Like, I come on and go, I can totally see how this has influenced sci fi from through here yeah. on out. Everything's a lot more gritty and real almost now. Like. See, I, I, I'm not too sure because, I mean, Blade Runner is definitely influential and it's influenced so much and it completely changed the way science fiction films look. Mm-hmm. But that, to me, that should mean that you should still look back on Blade Runner and it in and of itself, even if you've seen all the things that it's influenced, it should still wow you. Yeah. Like even Alien, when Alien came out, it completely changed the way, yeah. like everyone was making an Alien ripoff. Everyone was doing yeah. this. Because Alien was out at the same look. time as around Star Wars was out. Exactly. I mean, Star Wars mm-hmm. is those sh- like really sleek, those really shiny spaceships. Space and then Alien goes completely away and then yeah. everyone like follows Lifton it. Ship, yeah, yeah, everyone does that as well. But every time you go back to Alien, you still get 
the just the wow factor of it. it's just such an impactful film whereas blade runner it's kind it's kind of it's kind of the opposite it and has influenced so many things and they've ripped it off but when and when you go back to it it just doesn't it doesn't do the same thing yeah. as what alien did i don't know i i we're never <laughs> going to agree i i just think there's a film I understand, gentlemen, where you're all coming from, but mm-hmm. I just think there's a film that just, it's not perfect, but then I nev- I'm one of these people, to demand perfection from cinema is insanity. You're never going yeah. to get perfection from a film. Demanding perfection is one thing. You know, demanding a kind of engaging narrative is, is, is it's not. Yeah, I think it's what it boils down to. I mean, mm-hmm. I, mean I, am, I don't think there's a single film that I've ever seen that is just genuinely perfect. I mean, that's a ridiculous thing. It's a ridiculous conceit. Old Blade school, Runner, I mean, old school, uh, all the time. Old school. Yeah, <laughs> perfect. Start to finish. But like as you're saying, like, the opening scene is fantastic. The opening shot even is yeah, fantastic. Yeah, yeah. but that, like I kind of rewrote Connor. I think it was Connor said this that like once you've seen the first twenty minutes, you get yeah. the idea, you yeah. get the world, you get the whole noir stuff, you get the themes, you and get everything. The th- yeah, everything set yeah. up. I was like, if it was twenty minutes long as a short, I would have been completely on board. It just drags it out and drags it out, and then it kind of loses it. I, I think so. In a really yeah. weird, okay. annoying release got kind of way. Okay, I think we've, t- we've talked for nearly an hour, so I think we shall wrap things up. That's okay. But, I've been yeah. holding this dull for about an hour. I'm just waiting to release it in slow yeah. motion. Just so you can let it go. Covering as much of the festival as we possibly can. So until next week, goodbye. Bye. See ya. That just sounds like you're having a wank. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Da 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 da